You're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast. Where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Welcome back to the show team. My name is Amelia and today we have yet another awesome guest on the show. We have Sophia, who is an R&D manager at Future Green Solutions could also possibly call her an insect nutritionist. Really looking forward to getting into this one. Welcome to the show, Sophia. Thanks for having me, Amelia. It's a pleasure to talk about research in Australia. I'm so looking forward to this chat. I don't know. Hard to tell if this will be an easy one or a hard one. What is your job? (laughs) Okay, so as you said, I'm the research and development manager at Future Green Solutions. And basically, we produce sustainable animal feed ingredients for example, dog treats or fish food. And we also provide organic alternatives to fertilizers, for example, farmers or the agricultural sectors. I don't know, more examples of sustained animal feed ingredients would be proteins, like whey protein that you can add in on a smoothie (laughs) or recovery after the gym. Well, we produce insect protein. (laughs) And my task would be designing the diets for them. (laughs) so we can kind of maximize larvae growth. Yeah, essentially that's what I do. So you're helping the insects grow the best that they can so that then we can feed other animals and grow things better and more sustainably. Exactly, yes, as you say. So I kind of try to maximize their growth so we can produce more in less period of time we supply these proteins to feed manufacturers and they blend it with other minerals, vitamins or other ingredients. And then they produce poultry feed, pig feed, or as I said, fish pellets or also dog treats. Yeah. Can we ask like a, maybe a simple question, what kind of insects are we talking about? Oh, that's a very good question because we don't produce just any insect protein. It Just says, all the bugs. <laughs> all the bugs. No matter what, we take it. <laughs> no, it's a specific one and it's called black soldier fly. So this is a very tropical fly. <laughs> they like going to the beach, <laughs> to the jungle, pretty much. <laughs> so they like 28 degrees and 70% humidity. And yeah, they lay eggs. Then these eggs hatch into larvae. And then this tiny, cute little larvae eats lots of food waste and other low-value organic waste, for example, manures or animal waste, and they turn it into high-value products, such as this insect protein. And the fun thing (laughs) is that the larvae poo, like a worm farm, it can be used as a fertilizer, but I would say that this is a very large scale, what we do compared to a household worm farm. Yes, I'm imagining you could end up with a lot of poo. (laughs) Tons and tons daily. (laughs) Tons of poo daily. Okay. (laughs) I've never seen a black soldier fly, I don't think. Are they common in Australia? No, so they are not native from Australia. They are originally from South America, Indonesia, India, so places that it's more tropical and more constant temperatures. Australia it's either too hot, too cold, too humid, or too dry. <laughs> you know, 
I think you are you are in Melbourne, so it's very cold sometimes in the mornings and then very hot during the day. So that 15 degree difference in temperature would affect them and they can't really grow well. You can like randomly find one in, for example, I don't know, a pig farm, let's say, hidden in the manure, but it's not very available, let's say. And it looks like a little wasp. So people, when they come to the farm to visit us, they get scared first. And then I show them like, no, 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 they don't bite. They don't do anything. They are very friendly. You can even like pat them. <laughs> How big hurt. are they? Promise. <laughs> uh, are we talking big or like little or? Uh, maybe like like your double the your fingernail. Okay. Okay. I'm just sort of like mentally comparing them to a cricket, actually, because we know a little bit about eating crickets. Yeah, maybe they're like a little bit smaller and they're like this, I would say, and they are black. Maybe if I find at home, maybe I could find one. <laughs> Sometimes I'm... I bring them. Not that I want to bring them, but they come with me. <laughs> how do, like, how do you say mama? Mama. <laughs> I do appreciate that you're calling them cute and uh, you clearly have some respect and love for these little little creatures. Of course, of course. One day, actually, I went to a friend's house after work and I was sitting on the couch with her talking, talking. And then I look at the wall and I saw one of my flies that she probably came with me, like in my bag or something. And they said, like, oh, one of my flies. And she said, oh, it's, ha- it's funny that you recognize them. And I said, well... <laughs> Wouldn't you recognize your child? (laughs) (laughs) It's the same. (laughs) I love it. Love it. So you're feeding these black soldier flies. It sounded like sort of waste products. Yes, yes, correct. So we take food waste from different companies in Perth, different businesses and different farms. For example, we take carrot farm that wouldn't meet the supermarket quality requirements they are either too small too big or like ugly what they call it or maybe they are rotten tomatoes also or like food with bacteria moldy bread as well or waste from beer production like mold and spent grain also the distillery grains from the whiskey production olive waste fish waste lot everything pretty much they would take anything which is the difference between other insects, for example, worms, like a worm farm. They don't really like citrus, onion, but the good thing about black soldier fly is that they eat pretty much everything. They sound very useful. (laughs) They are, they are. Yes, they are. And that's why I love so much my job because black soldier flies kind of solve lots of sustainable issues or unsustainable issues in the world, like we can save food waste from going to landfill. We also produce sustainable protein that can replace soybean or fish meal that we know that they are kind of harmful for the environment because they require lots of land use, lots of water. And also this thing that I said that um, the insect poo can be used as a fertilizer and improve the soil quality. So three things in one. <laughs> Sounds are there any downfalls that you want to share? Maybe the smell. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Yes. So it's kind of semi-fermenting foods. So yes, there are lots of different smells coming from the grow rooms where we keep them. 
but we always wear masks, gloves, and protective equipment, so it's not really harmful. It's just different smells. <laughs> yeah, it's just not sort of. I mean, it like a cow's bum up close also doesn't smell that great. Yeah. So, but yeah. sometimes they bring good food waste items, let's say lemons or gin berries, and that's when the good smells comes in, <laughs> and it balances out. Does the food that you feed them like? change their taste i'm just really loving the idea of like insect protein that had a slight whiskey flavor to it (laughs) flavor of insect protein well i haven't tried well i have but (laughs) um it's not really for humans so it's more for uh, for animals at the moment maybe in a few years time in 2050 if we run out of other proteins, maybe we start considering insects. Well, we actually do it already with crickets, but, you know, they might be, I don't know, 50% of our diet. I don't know. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> I do I do like the idea of a pet being able to eat insect protein, though. It uh, yes, sort of yes. feels like it makes a huge amount of sense. Yes, also for chickens and pig for example otherwise at the moment what's happening is farmers are growing grains like wheat corn to then feed animals to then feed humans right so we are kind of cutting this middle point (laughs) yeah especially yeah it it makes a lot of sense and um (laughs) and essentially we are doing like the nature cycle we are not doing anything different or creating a new process that it's not available in nature. That's a really interesting point because it sounds like kind of amazing and innovative and like (laughs) groundbreaking and at the same time it's also just really really obvious. Yeah it has been happening for millions of years (laughs) and it's gonna keep on happening. It's just like fungi for example also we have some sort of not negative vision, but we think as fungi as something bad, but they are just like decomposing organic matter and turning into soil again. So then something new can come up from there. It's the same. It's all part of the same system. What are you most excited about for the work that you're doing? Well, I I love this part of being sustainable and contribute to the circular economy in Australia. So we take waste and we turn it into something good. Also, I get to apply all the things that I study in uni. (laughs) You know, you have those subjects, like I even had physics and I was like, no, 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 I will never use this. And all the time I apply every single concept to, for example, rheology, which is the study of texture. And I apply that to the texture of the diet for the insects because They don't like just like food waste in general. As I said, they also prefer different textures. So before we feed it to them, we have to optimize it. So make it fluffy, we call it. So aerated because they don't like pasty. (laughs) They like fluffy food. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) I'm not joking. This is a very serious conversation. (laughs) How did you work that out? Because obviously an insect can't be like, yes and not its head and like shake its head no I don't like that thing how did you work out the fluffiness that's a very good question and at the beginning we didn't know like we were literally just like grabbing a bunch of food waste pressing it and if lots of water would come out we will say like no that's very wet and 
we call it glagginess factor. <laughs> we were calling it at the beginning. But then when I started to do research and spending lots of hours reading other uh, articles from other researchers around the world, I realized that there are methods to measure that. And so we bought a moisture analyzer, a water activity meter, and then we also can measure bulk density, so the mass in a certain volume. And there are some, we realized that there are some items that can bring fluffiness. For example, wheat bran, it's very fluffy compared to bread. Like we, we grind the bread and make breadcrumbs. And that makes a paste because of the gluten. <laughs> so, and so then you yeah. need to add the bran to make it fluffy. and Yes, yes, correct. So it's a combination between nutrition and texture, let's say. Yeah. So it's just like people, like we don't only eat the things that are good for us. We also eat the things that we enjoy eating. Exactly. Things that are yummy <laughs> <laughs> and the lava the same. They have some sort of, yeah, kind of choice for things that they like. Like it's funny, but if you give them, for example, food waste, they will prefer that than manures. So mm -hmm. I was doing some research on manures versus what we call clean substrates and our bugs prefer clean substrates <laughs> and I don't blame them <laughs> that's yeah no no makes sense that's that's fair do <laughs> do they have a favorite food that you're aware of like the one thing that they would go for first up <laughs> they love carrots they love carrots, carrots. yeah you're right <laughs> like rabbits <laughs> yes yes do you have they to grate the carrots Yes, yes, yes. And at the very beginning, I wasn't even working at Future Green Solutions, but they were doing manually, like one carrot at a time. Oh, my gracious. Lots, yes, yes, lots. But then, yeah, we got like a grinder, like a bigger, and now it's just, I don't know, half a ton of carrots going to a hopper, and then it grinds, grinds it down and mix it with the other food waste items. So on a daily basis, we would mix two or three tons of food waste a day, yeah, at the moment. Is there plans to scale? Yes, 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 yes. So at the moment it's just a pilot plan where we are doing research, but we are also producing like a small-scale production of insect protein. But in two to three years' time, we will be taking bigger volumes of food waste and producing way more protein to supply not just locally but nationally. Well, we're excited for that. Definitely. Yes, yes. Soon it's going to be available in, on the shelves. <laughs> Do you have pets? Uh, we have a cat and a dog, okay, and I'm very keen to feed them both insects. Just right. decrease their carbon footprint, even just a little bit. It'll be great. Good, good. We can send you some samples. That'll be fun. <laughs> and then we'll have to let listeners know where they can get some so that they don't get too jealous as well. <laughs> Are you able to describe the space that these insects are growing in? Like, can you give us like a verbal walkthrough of their home? Yes, sure. So we grow them in what we call grow rooms. So it's a chamber with environmental conditions, very controlled. As I said, they like 28 degrees and around 70% humidity. At the moment, we have them in sea containers. So as you can imagine, like sea containers, that other businesses can use them as storage, for example, while well, we turn them into these grow rooms. 
and we have air extractors and also fans to circulate the air so the moisture from the food waste can be extracted and then we can separate easily the insect from the insect poo, which it's called frass. And yeah, you enter to the door and then you have plastic containers, all stack them one top of the other. And we have stacks of eight containers and we usually put them in rows of 10 stacks, for example. So it's a lot, yes. <laughs> on, a, on a weekly average, we could do... 10 tons of food waste and all this is contained in these grow rooms. And then some of the larvae, we use them for production of insects, but some other, like 10%, I think it is, we use them for reproduction. So then they turn into flies and the flies, we place them into the aviaries where it's also a controlled environment, the same 28 degrees and 70% humidity. And that's where they spend most of their life, <laughs> mating, laying eggs, and dying. <laughs> and eating. Oh, no, the flies don't eat. No, the flies don't eat, which is the good thing. And that's why they are different to house flies, and they are not annoying, let's say. House flies usually will tend to pass around you because they are looking for moisture and food. So they will go into your nose or earbuds, and then... Maybe they went to a manure or feed source, whereas black salt the fly won't do that because they don't eat a saddle. So they are not really interested in your moisture or a food source. Self-contained. <laughs> have you got any idea how many animals, insects you have at any week? Uh, yes, we can, we can have from maybe a million to 10 million in a week of larvae processing, like on a weekly basis. And then we have 221,000 flies <laughs> on a weekly basis as well. That's very specific. <laughs> I'm impressed that you're feeling that confident about that number. <laughs> I've just made a calculation. <laughs> okay. It's like, I feel like they're probably all flying around and hard to count. Um, Plus minus one. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly a scientist. Well, yeah, okay, so that is a lot, and that's just like a, a sample of what it could be in the future. Yes, exactly, yes. So with that sort of in mind, what does an average day at work look like for you? So mainly I kind of design and develop the experiments to increase the larvae growth because we want bigger bags with more protein. I also work on, the, on increasing the female fertility so they can lay more eggs, so we have more larvae, and also the waste reduction, so we can produce more with less waste, and we can provide the businesses a waste management solution as well. So I mainly do that, but that will also include overseeing the production facility, managing part of the team, help the team process or clean the equipment. Yeah, I also monitor the temperature and humidity, have meetings with suppliers, lots of reading and researching what scientists have found <laughs> in terms of insect diets, texture, conditions, and all that. So it's very interesting. Yeah, I love so, it because I can do a little bit of everything. It's not just every day the same. Sometimes it's physical work. Some other times I have to think a lot and come up with solutions. 
It sounds like a very diverse job. Yes, 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 absolutely. Do you, within all of that, do you have a favorite bit? I think that talking with the team, let's say, but in terms of coming up with solutions, I research on the diet, but then I need them to implement those research findings and mix the diets and then the other person collect the eggs and then the other person process the larvae. And I kind of put together all that information and makes me happy to see how we are progressing as a team. How big is the company? At the moment, it's between 10 and 12 people, I would say. Yes. A good size for getting to do different things. Yes, yes. And we all have different, very different tasks. What are some of the skills that you need to be able to do your job well? My job in particular, I think you need some sort of creativity (laughs) to design experiments. You also need to pay lots of attention to details because like a little bit of error will make a drastic impact on your research findings. You also have to be methodical and consistent as every scientist, I would guess. I didn't have insect background before I started to work at Future Green Solutions. I've studied food science and technology back home. So by doing all this research, I gained these skills on on insect and biology (laughs) knowledge, let's say. I'm not doing the mixing part anymore, but a little bit of physical effort was required in the past as well. And yeah, as I said, it's very diverse and it's been very fun, all the journey. <laughs> Have you had any experiments that really didn't work? Lots, <laughs> lots, lots, lots. First, we didn't have optimized the environmental conditions. So we would try different food waste items and nothing would work. And we will say we will be very frustrated because we were getting <laughs> nowhere. But then once we optimized the conditions, we started to include these items again and they did work yeah also we try for example chocolate in the diet chocolate waste and sugar waste and we found out that we were uh, making obese larvae rather than healthy (laughs) so they were putting weight and they were growing and we were very happy like wow they're massive but it was all like bad fat (laughs) so did that then get translated into the insect product like Yes, yes. So because we produce insect protein, we want the less fat as possible. But this larvae was like heavily. <laughs> and it's it it's okay. I mean, in nature, I guess it happens as well. But because the aim of this project is to build protein, we got rid of chocolate. <laughs> okay. I feel like there's a, a subtle message in that for <laughs> as well, possibly. <laughs> No, no, I, I've, I'm just an insect nutritionist. <laughs> I don't want to give advice <laughs> to humans. You can you can interpret that how you will, listeners. Obese black soldier fly larvae is a terrifying <laughs> thought, actually. <laughs> okay, well, there's some there's some fun mistakes to have learned from. I imagine you would have been excited and then a bit disappointed in that yes, whole process. Yes. Yes, 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 yeah. So it was like a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> yes, but as every single research, you always learn from what didn't work as well. And, and sometimes that's just as important. Yeah, and, and sometimes you even discover things like out of the blue. Like I think 
penicillin also was discovered like that. They were trying to research and something and then they discover this other thing. Well, the same with us. Sometimes we do experiments, but we can't find anything from that. But then we discover another really good finding that we keep on doing it. Got to be a bit open-minded. Yes, 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 absolutely. And be very flexible. (laughs) How have you got into this position? Like what was your pathway from high school to where you are now? Oof, that's a very good question. And it's been kind of a long journey. It started, let's say, six years ago when I first arrived in Australia. As I said, I had a food science and technology degree from back home. And, but I came to Australia backpacking, so I was working in the hospitality industry. I was doing my farm work in a very remote town in Queensland. And I was throwing every day so many pumpkins, salads, meat, every, like fresh stuff. But we couldn't set it because maybe it was for one day in the shop. So we had to discard it. And I was feeling so sad. I can't keep on tr- throwing this food waste. And I was thinking back home, we have some, I think, more redistribution methods. For example, this food will go to people in need rather than to landfill straight away. But because Australia is so big and transport costs are so expensive, I guess it's kind of easier to throw them away rather than turning into another thing. Yeah, that's the problem with the very isolated towns, but that's another story. Anyways, <laughs> then I went, after doing my farm work, I went traveling to Europe and Asia and I became aware of the food waste in Australia and then in these regions about the plastic waste. And I was a little bit sad because I was snorkeling and I could see rubbish bags just sitting around and the turtles just swimming around them. And you could see them like smelling them and trying to eat them. Also in Nepal, when I went to the Himalayas, I remember being in the morning in such a peaceful place, but the smell of plastic being burned, it was terrible. And you could see the kids playing with that. So At that time, it was like a breaking point in my life where I became very conscious about our impact in in nature. And I guess I don't expect everyone to look after the environment. We all have different education and different interests. But I thought to myself that I have the skills and the tools to do something about the, the environment. So I came fully committed to do something in Australia. This was four years ago. And I applied for scholarships in a master's in food security. And I thought that that would give me the skills that I needed to maybe get a a, a a job in the field. But I didn't get it. (laughs) So all these things together made me like, I really need to do it. Now I want it even more. (laughs) So I went to a lot of courses, workshops, conferences, webinars. I participated lots of um, volunteer activities. I joined lots of non-for-profit organizations. And I got in contact with so amazing people that they were doing really cool stuff about the environment. And that kind of gave me the motivation and the energy again to feel like, okay, not everything is lost. Yes, there is a little bit of a sad part, but then there is like other way too many cool things happening uh, for the better of the environment. And that's how I met Luke, my current boss. He was giving a talk about Black Soul the Flies. And the same as you, I was like amazed by the project. 
And I contact him and after a year, he offered me the position that I'm doing at the moment. And that's been two years ago that I've been working for Future Green Solutions. <laughs> so yeah, it's been very exciting. That is quite a wild ride. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy because I was born in Buenos Aires. So it's a city with, I don't know, around 13 million people. So it's very crowded. And I used to live in an apartment in like <laughs> everything around me was concrete. <laughs> so I wasn't really in contact with nature. But I think being in Australia and forest, the beach, the immense beach and pristine <laughs> crystal clear waters, it's like, no, 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 I really want to look after this place. One of the things that did come to mind when you're talking about the isolated towns and the food waste and the transport costs is that it'd just be so cool if this solution could scale to the point where you could have your shipping containers that can then get deployed to all the small like towns everywhere and they then it can all be localized and we don't need to do this like huge transport expensive wasteful thing and then it can all happen circular economy locally. So exactly, that's, yes. That's so cool. Yes, correct. That's as you say. So we propose a centralized model, let's say, where we take the food waste from different parts and we process them to make this protein. But I know that other companies around the world or maybe in the future we can do it as well, like deliver the sea containers to the farm or to the food processing business and we can send some of the larvae and they can do it themselves. So we avoid completely the transporting costs and they have an on-farm waste management technique. That will be very cool. <laughs> I think a lot of people would be horrified to see how much food is wasted because it's not the beautiful food that the supermarkets. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's, it's very sad because it tastes the same, but sometimes the broccoli, if it's too big, the supermarkets won't take it. I understand the background because if they sell too big and then too small, then the clients would say like, oh, no way, I'm I'm paying $1 for my broccoli, but then like my neighbor got more product out of it. So they want to standardize production, let's say. And I get that part. <laughs> and they want to extend the shelf life. They are not going to put, I don't know, a broccoli that has like a hollow steam, for example, inside. And I understand all that. But at the same time, 30% of the food that is harvested never arrives to the people or even the production systems. They are just left on farm because they, does, they don't meet the requirements. So it's a lot, 30%. It's a lot of water, fertilizer and resources that went into growing that vegetable for then not being able to be eaten. Were there any other initiatives, ideas that you came across during that sort of intense discovery period you went through that you like were also really excited about? Yes, yes. So um, before I used to participate, as I said, in different organizations, so I did lots of beach cleanups. And I got in contact with really cool people that they were proposing different alternatives to, I don't know, from producing compostable packaging to saving plastic to going to landfill and proposing even reusing or recycling 
yeah, I met lots of really cool people. Honestly, I think that that's being surrounded by like-minded people really helped me to stay focused <laughs> and motivated. And beach cleanups, I've done a lot of those river cleanups. And yeah, sometimes you can't really see the items, but then you dig a little bit or you walk a little bit further from the coastline. And then in the dunes or near the trees, you can find lots of objects, lots of tiny little bits of plastics and all those <laughs> issues that we, are, we mm. are aware at the moment. I think recently there was like an increase in awareness from the society in all the plastic pollution. I think it, it changed a lot since I've started my journey in sustainability to now. It changed a lot for the good. Yeah, and so some like technology and stuff is helping enable it too, like imp improving plastic recycling and all that sort of stuff. Yes, true, true, true. As I said, lots of companies also providing sustainable solutions for composting, packaging. Also, the local governments are doing a lot more, like collecting your organic waste. That, that didn't happen even three years ago. We, we wouldn't even think of that. And now, not just general rubbish, but recycling and organic waste collection in some councils and in some regions of Australia. But I guess in a year time or two years, I think it will be available everywhere. More and more normal. And the value of being surrounded by people who are doing good things, like it's so easy to get cynical and miserable and yeah. <laughs> It's very important to have people around you who you're like, oh no, you know, someone is actually doing something. Yes, yes, and and I don't know, and other an advice that I would give to people would be not to try to be perfect ambientalists. Like I know that there are really motivated people out there that might be listening, and <laughs> yeah, my advice would be rather than trying to be perfect, do small little acts. Small act, big impact. And the best thing you can do is share your knowledge. Everything that I learn about new places that are taking soft plastics or hard plastics or, I don't know, milk cartons or the milk bottle tops, whatever. Like I always tell everyone so we can start like walking together <laughs> to arrive to a good point rather than not knowing. And because... Sometimes we don't have the education. Yes, it's a very new topic called this sustainability thing. Like 20 years ago, no one would care because there was no need to care for the planet. Mm. It was okay how we were living. But I think now we realize we, we have the power to do something. Yeah, that was a beautiful piece of advice. <laughs> do you have any other advice that you would give to young Sophia? <laughs> to always find things that you like doing and find your passion and get to know yourself. Um, when I finished my degree, this was seven years ago, I loved what I studied, but I didn't know what I could do. Like if someone would offer me a job, I would be like, yes, I'll take it. But now I think that knowing my passion, it's easier to see myself doing something in the future, growing like I can visualize my future. Yep. So get to know yourself a little bit. Yes, and find your passion. But are there any particular myths or misconceptions that you come across 
with the general public? Like when you tell people what you do as a job? <laughs> well, Actually, how do people react in general? How do people react? Uh, I think I got blocked from, <laughs> from Instagram, from some friends. No, no, just kidding. But I used to <laughs> upload lots of videos and pictures of flies and lava and me covering flies and I don't think people like it that much. They are like, yuck. They have like a really misconceptions about insects of mm. and them being bad. And yes, of course, cockroaches, houseflies, some caterpillars or mites. Yes, they are pests and they are bad. Like they look horrible <laughs> and they are even like bad for some crops. Like they can destroy some crops and all that. Majority of them, they are good for the planet. Like they would turn, as I said, low value products into high value soil components. And they will make the soil better, more fertile, more productive with better water retention capacity. So if there is a draft, the water, their soil will retain more water. So insects are good. <laughs> we love insects. <laughs> So big misconception that all insects are icky and bad. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. But there are some that are good, yes. I do never really want to find your Instagram though and find those photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now now I do it more kind of carefully. <laughs> Not all the time. <laughs> or maybe I do like a little warning at the beginning. <laughs> like I put a blank page and I say <laughs> the uh, next images are sensitive <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like creepy crawlies you might be disturbed yeah <laughs> i give the option now i i can sort of see people reacting a little bit um <laughs> okay well hopefully everyone listening at least is going to be like well i might immediately react and be like ew it's a fly but at the same time they're doing awesome work and helping turn our waste into food that's more sustainable and that's doesn't really matter if it's cute or not to you it's awesome that that's happening yes true 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 when you think of the big picture you're like i love them <laughs> <laughs> no matter how smelly they are that's <laughs> <laughs> not their fault they're smelly <laughs> is there anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to share I think we talked about everything. I want to say thank you to the team. <laughs> Hopefully they, they will listen this this session and it's amazing to be part of this company and my boss is very cool and we all work together. So it's very cool. <laughs> it's not just the insects that are cool, but also the team. <laughs> I sort of feel like people who would be attracted to working in that environment and oh, open to working with insects, like they'd kind of have to be cool. Just uncool people aren't going to make the cut. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well said. I love it. Okay. So high fives uh, and a shout out to all the people at Future Green Solutions because you're doing awesome work. And then I'd like to extend that out to the people who are like sending in their food waste to be eaten by the bugs and then the people who are feeding this this protein to their animals and because that's awesome making those little changes makes a huge difference exactly yes <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show sophia this has been delightful always <laughs> always wonderful to hear about insects <laughs> thank you so much for your time no worries 
Thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, please pass it on to someone else who you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to support Avid Resets this year, that would be amazing. Uh, you can buy us a coffee. Head to avidresearch.com.au and there'll be a link. Buy me a coffee and you can support us with a one-off little coffee payment. Thanks so much for listening. You're a legend. Bye.